Father, as we examine your word today, we ask that you would send your spirit to to open it up and explain it to us. And we ask that you would empower us to live it out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During World War II, my great-grandparents were sugar beet farmers in Idaho. Sugar beets are these large beets that grow underground. Along with sugarcane, it's one of the main ways that sugar is produced. During World War II, sugar was used as a stabilizer in bombs. Somehow it, it kept the explosive materials in bombs stable and from exploding prematurely. Since sugar was so important, the government sent my great-grandparents, a bunch of German POWs, prisoners of war, to work on their farm. They were housed and fed and clothed by the government, but would labor in my family's fields. Their living conditions weren't luxurious. They didn't have thick enough coats for the winter. They weren't fed very well. In fact, a lot of them were, were super, super skinny. It was rare that they got a chance to eat meat, so from time to time, my great-grandmother would cook and can a bunch of beef and take it to them, and in the jars, the, the liquefied fat would rise to the top and kind of solidify there, and, and the prisoners would take that and scoop off that fat and give it to the skinniest prisoners. I wonder, what were those prisoners' lives like before the war? Maybe they were doctors or accountants or students or salespeople driving down the equivalent of their 279 to work, hopping on the bus in the morning, going through their beautiful city. But that was before war broke out and they were enlisted and captured in a battle somewhere. Now they were in this strange land in the middle of an Idaho desert, a geography that did not exist in Germany working for a strange people doing back-breaking work, separated from friends and family, the comforts of home, everything they loved. Today, I want to tell you the story about another group of POWs. Many years ago, God sent his people to be POWs in a strange land. And he said, anyone who is not willing to go and serve this foreign country I will destroy them. We're going to look at how and why this happened, and we're going to look at what it was like during that time. It started when God's people, like they often do, wandered away from him. And God, like he always does, sought them out. In a severe act of mercy to get their attention and to bring them to their senses, he sent them into exile. He let the Babylonian army conquer them and take his people to Babylon as POWs. It was a depressing time to be an Israelite. But God was using it to get his people's attention. Partway through the exile, two prophets emerged. One was strange. He wandered around all the time wearing this, this yoke a yoke that oxen would wear, a big board that, that hung on his shoulders and over his neck, and at one end was attached to his neck, and the other end was attached to a, to a plow that, that oxen would use to, to plow behind. 
this prophet went around wearing this yoke, saying, This yoke is what God says to Israel. Woe to you, for you have gone astray from my ways. You have run away from me, so I have given you to the Babylonians, and they will be a yoke around their neck, and you will serve them. That's one of the prophets. Then there's another prophet. He didn't like the first guy very much. And he came and said, Hey, come on now. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. In two years, God is going to come and rescue us, and everything will be fine. Whose church would you rather go to? The preacher who was, who was all about doom and gloom, or the preacher with a message of hope? Would you rather listen to the prophet who is calling for national treason, serving a foreign power, or would you rather listen to a prophet who is calling for a patriotic revival? This doom and gloom prophet was Jeremiah. God told him, I want you to make a yoke and wear it around. It's going to symbolize to my people the way they're going to serve the Babylonians. And if any of them refuse to serve the Babylonians, I'm going to destroy them. This other prophet, this guy with the message of hope, his name's Hananiah. And in chapter 28, verse 2, we read, he claimed to have this message from God. He said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will return my people to their home. When he says this, he announces it right in front of Jeremiah. And then there's this exchange that Mike just read for us in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 28. To paraphrase, Jeremiah basically takes the high road and he says, Well, if your message is truly from the Lord, Hananiah, then peace will come and it will be a good day. I look forward to that day, but I'm, I'm a little skeptical. But if peace comes, we'll know that your message is from the Lord. Then... Hananiah walks up to Jeremiah, rips the yoke off his neck, and breaks it. How angry do you think Jeremiah was in that moment? But once again, he takes the high road, he doesn't engage in a fight, he shuts his mouth, and he walks away. Then sometime later, God spoke to Jeremiah and said, I want you to take a message to Hananiah for me. Tell him, you big, fat liar. The Lord has not sent you, and you made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am going to send you off the face of the earth. Within this year, you will be dead, because you have spoken rebellion against the Lord. And then we read in verse 17 of chapter 28, in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. The exile didn't last two more years like Hananiah predicted. It lasted for 70 more years. One prophet said, everything's going to be fine. And one spoke the hard truth, the message that God wanted his people to hear. So, what do we learn from this story? One lesson we could take away is that God kills people when you say everything's going to be fine, and it's not going to. 
So be careful what you say. But I don't, I don't think that's the lesson God wants us to take away. We do learn that God gets really ticked off when people speak in his name and tell lies. We do learn that. But I think the biggest thing we learn is that God cares so much for his people that he wants them to know the truth even when it hurts. We learn that he, as opposed to all of us, consistently has the courage, the care, and the perfect knowledge to tell us the truth even when others don't. Sometimes when we're in a gut-wrenching situation, people will tell us everything's going to be okay. Sometimes that's good to hear. Sometimes we get so caught up in the, in the moment, in the crisis, and we lose perspective. And it's good to have somebody say, hey, take a deep breath. Everything's going to work out. Because a lot of times things will work out, but it's just hard for us to see. Sometimes it's good to hear that. But there are other times when something awful is happening and people tell us everything's going to be fine and it's not going to be fine. In the popular TV show Mad Men, Don and Betty Draper have been married for about 10 years. Partway through the show, their marriage starts to go downhill. And they tell their two elementary-aged kids that, that daddy is going on business trips. He's going out of town, when in fact, he's in town living in a hotel. One day they sit their children down and, and stumble as they try to tell them that they're getting a divorce, but they totally sugarcoat it. They basically tell their two children, there's some changes happening, but everything's going to be all right. But Sally, the oldest, knows things are not going to be all right. And you can see that in that moment there is a massive loss of trust. And she flies out of the room knowing that she cannot trust what her parents are telling her. And as her world spins out of control, she has no idea what's going on or what the truth is. Her parents were trying to be nice. They were trying to protect her. But they were actually hurting her instead of helping her. I think there's four basic reasons why people tell us everything's going to be okay when it's not going to be okay. People are trying to be nice. That's one reason. Another closely related reason is perhaps like Don and Betty Draper, they don't want to admit that they're at fault that they had some hand in, in causing this catastrophe, in causing this crisis that is going to end up hurting people. A third reason is simply a lack of knowledge. I can still remember vividly three and a half years ago watching the nightly news as home prices began to dip down. And I remember commentators coming on and saying, the quarterly data just came out and home prices have gone down more than we expected, but this is just temporary. Next quarter, prices are going to stabilize. There's nothing to worry about. Everything will be fine. They had no idea. They were guessing, and they guessed wrongly. 
For many people who own homes, things are not all right, and they won't be all right for a long time. Sometimes people don't know how things are going to play out, so they just say that everything will work out. A lack of knowledge is a third reason I think sometimes people tell us that. And then the fourth reason is a lack of courage. Who wants to tell someone that their life is in the dumps, that their life is a mess, and it's not going to get better until something changes? It's a lot easier to say, everything will work out. You can forget about the other person's problems, you can move on with your life, and you can pretend that their problems aren't so bad. There's only one person who consistently has the knowledge, the care, and the courage to tell us the way things really are. God has a perfect understanding of everything that is transpiring in this moment, everything that will happen today, everything that will happen in the future, and he knows how our actions today will translate into future events. When others guess, God knows. And he's the only one who consistently has the courage to tell us the cold, hard reality because he cares that much about us. He knows that when we're in crisis, we need to know which way is up. We need to know where the bottom is. And he doesn't hold back on telling us the truth even when others are scared to. But fortunately, the hard truth is never where God stops. He told Jeremiah and the rest of the exiles a few chapters later that God would rescue them and restore them to their land. He would make them a people that worshiped God again and that were protected by God. And it's the same thing in our lives. Whenever God tells us a hard reality, he, is, he always He doesn't stop there, but he always gives us hope and builds a better future for us. But the tricky thing is, that hope cannot come until we face where we are. Until we're willing to listen what God wants to tell us, and not just to what we want to hear. Is there a reality this morning that God is trying to tell you? that you're trying to ignore or sugarcoat? If there is, he is doing so precisely because he loves you and wants to build a better future for you. Even when he has bad news for us, we can trust his care for us. And you can know that if you are willing to listen to what he has to say, he will give you hope and build you a better future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jeremiah and the courage he had to speak your word truthfully. We pray that you would give us that same courage to, to listen to what you have to say to us. We pray that you would unstop our ears. We thank you that you don't just tell us the way things are, but that you promise to give us hope and a better future. And so we pray that, that you would make us a people who are willing to listen to what you want us to hear, 
and to build that future with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.